a person at Grace who uh, has asked me to extend the standing greet to 10 minutes every Sunday. So I think you guys could actually fill that. Oh, look, we have somebody else likes that idea. Hey, one more announcement. Uh, those of you who have uh, not heard the news, uh, Caitlin has arrived. So because it's one of the uh, one of the added benefits of being the pastor here is I get to put my grandbabies picture on the screen, but mom and uh, more pictures. Mom's doing great. Uh, Dad's doing great, although he didn't do much. Um, They're fine. It's really been awesome, and she's quite a blessing. But you know, the one thing, you can take the picture down because I'll get distracted. I'll just... uh, Having a baby right before Christmas, it's just been such a reminder to me of the incredible gift we have in Christ and how profound it is that Christ humbled himself and took on the form of a baby. You know, we can take the story, the Christmas story is so known. We know this story, we've heard this story since we were kids. Even if you didn't grow up in the church, you know the Christmas story. And it's so easy when a story is that familiar for it just to be familiar. And just to stop and hold that little baby, how helpless the baby is, depends on everything. For its very existence is so dependent. This is the God of the universe who humbled himself and came in the form of the baby. And it's just, it's an amazing truth that uh, just, it's been a good reminder for me and a good reminder for you as well. Hey, um, we have spent the last three weeks talking about what is the church. We've talked about the fact that the church is a family and the profound implications is God is your father, Jesus is your brother, us is brothers and sisters. And, and I've really challenged you to meditate on that, to think about what does it really mean that God is my Father, and how just life-changing that one truth can be. We talked about the fact that the church is the answer. You know, you look at what's going on in our, our world, in our political system, in the world crisis with ISIS and, and the Muslim crisis. You know, the church really is the answer to that. I'm excited to see some of the news about how the evangelical church has kind of joined together is in stepping into the refugee crisis in a pretty profound way. That's what the church needs to do. The church is the answer. The church is a family. We talked about the church is the light of the world. When we looked at Matthew 5, remember Jesus says, you are the light of the cosmos, that we exist to bring light, to make God known to the physical world and the spiritual world. Pretty amazing truth that we've seen over these last three or four weeks. Um, and, and, and I just want to tell you that, that one of the things that comes out of this is that and we saw it last week, that God's eternal purpose is to love and be loved. And then there's this enormous responsibility that he gives to us to be the ones to make God known, that God actually entrusts to us the the responsibility of making him known, of being light in the darkness. And that, that responsibility is, and I want you to think about something. God doesn't have to do it this way. Right? He's God. If he wants to make himself known, he can make himself known any way he wants to. God actually chooses to use us to make him known. That's, a, that's an amazing truth for us to think about and to hold on to. And because God has poured out his love on us, we are to love others. We are to love those who hate us, right? That was the message of Christ is to love your enemies, to pray for those who persecute you. And that's that radical love that people see in it, and it makes God known. So we've talked about all of this, this uh, picture of what the church is. Remember, we looked at Ezekiel 47, a picture of the church that, that, that is flowing out and then it's growing and it's getting larger and larger. There's this picture of multiplication in that image in, in Ezekiel 47 of the river. Remember the river that started uh, 
uh, ankle deep and then became knee deep and then became waist deep and then was over the head and it flew, it flows into the Dead Sea and brings life to everything it touches. It's, a, it's an incredible picture of, of who the church is and what the church is supposed to be. And what we need to remember is that, that God is, is moving in such a way that, that he wants to make himself known and he wants to do that through us. He chooses to use broken people who have experienced his grace to make his grace known to other people. What I'm gonna do this morning, and this is a little bit different, but I'm gonna spend some time unpacking Impact 2016. Today we begin the kind of the giving part of Impact 2016. We've been talking about, we've had interviews every week, but I'm going to take a little time and I'm going to walk through Impact. But I want you to know is that that this isn't a, a left turn. This is the very heart of everything we've been talking about, that we desire to have a greater impact as a church. We desire to touch more people as a church, that we desire Impact 2016 is about living into that very calling of being the church of being the very things that we've talked about over these last few weeks. So today begins the giving portion. And we set a pretty um, large goal. We wanna raise $800,000 over the next several weeks in order to advance the mission of the church and to live into this high calling that God has given us. So before I move forward, I just wanna pray. Lord, thank you so much. Uh, Thank you for just, uh, even as I stand here, um, there is an excitement in my gut that uh, I just pray that 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 would come through loud and clear. Lord, I pray that people that are in the room would just um, share in the excitement of what you are doing in this place, that they would would just know that you have been so faithful and so gracious to us as a church for over 100 years, and you've been moving and and growing this church and using us to have a profound impact, and that, that there is more to come. Maybe the best is yet to come. And it's ahead of us. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would um, guide my words, that people would hear uh, the invitation that uh, you have for them this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you uh, have your bulletin in front of you, we made the bulletin a little bit different. It's kind of just a little vision sheet for us. And on the very back of that bulletin is a summary of, of how we plan to use the impact uh, campaign money that comes in. And the first thing I want you to know is that we're committed absolutely committed to doing this campaign as God provides. What does that mean? It means we're not going to borrow any money. How many of you were here in 2005 when we burned the mortgage? We should clap for that. That was a cool day. I actually have upstairs in the offices, I have this urn sort of pottery thing that has the ashes. I thought about bringing it down and and just showing it to you, but that was such a big day that we've we've saved the remains of that burned mortgage, and we're not going to go back to having a mortgage. And so what I want you to know is is we're going to do this as God provides. We're not going to go into debt. And we, we love the fact that we get to do ministry without that, the weight of debt hanging over us. This is a, a debt-free church, and that's a pretty cool thing. And it's, it's actually a pretty rare thing as well. So, so I want you to know that, and I think it's important. So people have asked, what if God doesn't provide? What if we don't have the money that we need? Well, then we're going to wait, and we're going to do it when God provides. And we believe God's timing is God's timing, and, and he's going to provide everything we need. Okay, so that's important. If you look at that sheet that's on the back, you'll see that the very first thing on there is that we're going to give the first $275,000, a little bit over a quarter of a million dollars, to our ministry partners. In other words, every dollar that comes in until we reach 275 is going to go to our partners, both locally and internationally. And what I want you to kind of get here is that we have a long tradition 
of missions at Grace. We are a sending church. We are a church that's about reaching outside of these walls. It's never been a kind of just, just whatever goes on a Sunday. We want to have a, a huge impact and want to continue. And our ministry partners are world-class. Uh, we have ministry partners who are changing the shape of missions around the world. We have ministry partners like Rob and May who have, who have literally pioneered this thing called Business for Transformation. And, and actually, if you were to look at these banners, this is just like a snapshot of just a little bit of what has been accomplished through our partners. And it's not even all of our partners, but if you look at that middle one, it says B4T, that stands for Business for Transformation. They've trained over 3,000 businesses to go into uh, some of the hardest to be places in the world, Muslim countries, and they have these businesses where they live out their business calling in a Christian way, and they are seeing evangelism happen in the Muslim conduct like we've never really seen in the history of modern Christianity. It's an amazing thing. And these are our, these are our partners. This is their home church, and we get to send partners like Rob and May into these uh, tough places to do amazing work. We have partners that are, that are changing the shape of the way care missions are done through medical ambassadors, really have pioneered the idea of local resources and, and, and helping people to find out what they have that can help them pull them out of poverty instead of having outside aid and creating a, a welfare mentality in the, in the third world countries, which has happened where they're so dependent on, on us that they don't believe that they can bring themselves with the help of God out of poverty. And so you got medical ambassadors who's now, you, you know, I, I said it a while ago, but I'm in my seminary classes, they're making me study this type of missions, this When Helping Hurts and Toxic Charity, all these books are out there. And, and these are our partners that have kind of pioneered this way of doing missions. Why do I say all that? Because we have world-class partners and we are committed to our world-class partners. And if you think about it, just, just think about this campus alone. We have a a federally qualified healthcare center right here on our campus. If you didn't know, there's a building right in the parking lot, full dental, full, full um, medical care with hospital privileges. So we have prenatal care that can happen there, dental care that can happen there. That's on our campus. We have a Christian counseling center on our campus. We have a tutoring program that's world-class. It's, it's, there's nothing like it, at least in the city of Detroit, that's having the impact, it's having the kids. That's all the things that God has, has put in our path and allowed us to partner with. And so what we want to make sure is that we continue to support our partners. So $275,000 comes in, $275,000 is going to go out. And here's what I think is just really caught my attention this year. By the end of this giving campaign, we will have raised and given away $2 million over the last six years. So including this year, that's an amazing Thing. But that just tells you this is our DNA. We are a church that's about outreach. We are a church that's, that's going to reach it. And I was thinking this morning as I was uh, getting ready to teach, I don't know what the number of people we serve a year is, but it's way more than the number of people who come to this church. And I just think that's amazing. It's thousands and thousands of people are touched with the gospel through much smaller number of people that come to grace. It's, it's our DNA, it's who we are, and so we're committed to that. And so it's important that you know it, it's important that you know that's how we're gonna uh, structure the campaign. So grace is an amazing place, it's doing amazing things. Mission and outreach is, is who we are, it's part of our DNA. You know, there's a passage in scripture, a poignant moment when Jesus is with the disciples and he says these words, he says, Jesus, says, Jesus came to them, the disciples, and he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, 
That means we make disciples across the street, and it means we make disciples across the ocean. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everything we're talking about this morning is about living into that commandment, that, that invitation of, of Christ himself saying, I want you to participate in the ministry. I want you to participate in making disciples of all nations. And one thing we know for sure is that, that not only is it our ministry partners, but what happens here in the church, what happens in this room, what happens on this campus is a huge part of making disciples. It's a huge part of us of doing what God has called us to do. The Great Commission applies to our partners and it applies to the very thing we're doing right now when we teach the word of God, when we sing, when we do Tuesdays at Grace, all that happens here on the campus. So. We're going to give the first $275,000 to uh, our partners. And then you can see from that sheet, we're going to then begin to invest in this campus. 15 years ago, we raised a substantial amount of money and we built this room. Uh, we also built the children's wing that we currently use. We put in the offices upstairs, but millions of dollars was, were raised and invested 15 years ago so that we could have more impact here in this corner. And that was a, it's a huge thing, and we've reaped the benefits. If you're sitting in this room, you're reaping the benefits of what people raised and invested 15 years ago. But when this building was built, and this is so important, they kind of track with me, and it's going to get a little number heavy here in just a second, but when this room was built, it was built with a phase two in mind. So they said, here's what we're going to do first. We're going to raise all this money. We're going to build the sanctuary. We're going to do the offices. We're going to do the children's wing. And then in, a, in the future, we're going to do a phase two, and, and we're going to expand the rest of the building. And it's maybe if you were here then, you even remember seeing drawings of, of phase two and how phase two was going to work. And the reason they needed to do phase two is because this room is too large for the rest of the campus. And I'm going to show you this with numbers real quick. Current seating in this room is 1,100 people. So if you were to count all the seats, we got 1,100 seats. If you were to fill this room on a Sunday, which would be 80 to 85%, of the people. That means you would have 900 adults here. There's probably in this room right now 450 adults. So we're about half full, if you, if you will. So 900 adults. What we know is for every um, adult that comes to Grace, uh, we have about 35, wait a minute, every 100 adults that come to Grace, we have about 35 children. Okay? So just track with me. I'm just trying to show you how this room is too big for the rest of the campus. 35 children means that you'd have 315 total children. By fire code alone, that's 65 more kids than we're allowed to take. That means that a percentage of people coming to Grace are going to hear us say, I'm sorry, we have no room for your children. Sounds like the Christmas story, but not quite as, not quite as pretty as the Christmas story. So the kids, they're going to come. We're going to say, sorry, the rooms are full. We can't take you. They're probably not going to stay, or if they stay, they're not going to come back. The other thing we know is if we have that number of people here, then we need 450, a little bit less than that, but right up to 450 parking spaces. All of our parking combined, including the street, including the grocery store, is about 350 spaces. So you have 100 cars that will not be able to park. If you come here and you can't park, you're probably not going to stay. As a matter of fact, we currently have that problem. So if you're willing to park in the grocery store or on the street and save the, the main parking lot for new people and for, um, for guests, that's going to help us a lot because currently people will pull in, they'll drive through the parking lot, they won't be able to find a spot and they'll leave. Now we don't know where they are. Today could have been the day they were going to hear about Jesus, so let's save some spots for them. But the point being, apart from a miracle of God, we're never going to fill this room unless we do a phase two. Well, phase two, when we had the architects come back in and redo it, is about $10 million. 
So it's $10 million because we have to blow out the outside walls. We have to actually expand the building in, in two different directions, change the foundation, change the layout of the church. It's a, it's a substantial project, $10 million. And what we're doing there is we're making the children's facility bigger and we're making the parking lot bigger, all to match this room. So the alternative to making the, the campus larger is to make this room match the rest of the the building, to make this room more intimate, to actually reduce, or what I would say, right-size this room. So how are we going to do that? So if you look at a slide behind me, this is a picture of the current sanctuary. Well, it's going to be, yep. And if you look at this, uh, this is from the angle of the balcony. It's kind of weird to show a picture of a room that we're actually in, but I still think it'll be easier. Um, So we're actually going to remove these four rows all the way across around the entire balcony. So this row is the very front row of the balcony. That row is going to stay, and we're going to remove those four rows. And if you go to the next slide, uh, we are going to put in um, basically flooring. So the lobby area upstairs will become much larger. So as you come in through those doors, you'll be able to walk right in, and you'll be able to walk all the way out to this edge, and it's all the same level. So these are the three entrance doors we have right now, and you can see that you have spacing there. So Um, Another picture of it just from a different angle. This would be from looking down. The wood that you see here is just sound treatment, just like we have currently up there. What's going to happen when we do this is we're going to reduce the seating in the room by about 250 seats. The other thing that it does for us is it makes this room a lot more versatile. So we currently have about 450, I think, um, women who come to uh, BSF on Thursday mornings or study in Revelation. We have Uh, women that are here for Tuesday morning, men that are here Tuesday morning. We have Tuesday nights at Grace. And if you've done breakouts at Grace, you may at one time or another done breakouts in a hallway. Um, Not an ideal place to have a breakout. So one of the things this allows us to do, it allows us to put tables and chairs up here. And it's a great place for us to break out. So if we're doing Financial Peace University in this room, we'd watch Dave Ramsey talk on the big screen. We'd say, okay, go to your small groups. People could walk right up the steps. They could be in tables all the way around. If we have a conference, if we have a missions conference, uh, any of those, it's a great place to set up tables and chairs. But here's what happens. I'm going to go through the numbers again. And I know I'm boring you with numbers, but I'll move past this. I'm talking as fast as I can. We right-size the room. That means that this room is going to fit 850 people. 80 to 85% full is 700 adults, which still gives us room to grow. Like I said, we probably have 450, 500 adults in the room, so there's still quite a bit of room for us to grow even on Sunday morning. Um, that means we'd have 245 children, which is just under capacity, and it means that we could we would have about 350 cars, which is full, but we have 350 parking spaces. So what we're doing is we're making this room match the rest of the campus. The other thing that I want you to know is that we are prayerfully uh, considering asking the Lord if he would have us start a third service. Third service would be Saturdays, uh, probably at 5 or 5.30. Um, And the reason for that is Sunday mornings are no longer sacred. And we have a lot of people who just can't be here on Sunday morning because they have hockey or baseball or work. um, And we want to have an alternative service. We also know the younger generation are asking us for that service uh, Saturday evening. So... We're going to get to Saturday evening a whole lot faster by making the rest of this room fit the rest of the campus. So, so that's a big part of it. Or $210,000 is going to be spent on right-sizing uh, this room. I also want to tell you, if when all this is said and done, um, you want to ask me questions, you can do that right after the service. That would be great. 275 to our partners, 210 to right-sizing this room. Uh, and then the next thing we're going to do, which I am super excited about, I'm excited about all of this, but we're going to make the chapel a chapel. How many of you didn't know we had a chapel? 
Come on, be honest. Did you know we had a chapel? How many of you have never been in the chapel? All right, that's... So we have a chapel, it's right through those walls. Most of us have never been in there because it doesn't work like a chapel. It really has no function like a chapel. It's the least used room on our campus, but we're gonna actually make the chapel a chapel. We're gonna put in outside doors uh, so that you can actually access the chapel from outside and not have to navigate through the whole building, which will allow us to use it for uh, all kinds of venues. But this is the current room. I don't know how you would describe that, but we've heard words of stark, plain, boring. Someone even said ugly. Um, so that's before and this is after. We're going to take those five windows you see there and we're going to put in stained glass. Uh, and then we are, we're going to buy uh, reclaimed uh, pews and put pews in there. We're getting those from, um, we, we don't know where we're going to get them exactly, but we're looking at old churches that are trying to get rid of their pews so that they can put in comfortable seating like ours. Um, so how ironic is that? <laughs> yeah. So um, we're looking at a church right now that the pews were made in 1890. They're beautiful. I'm not sure we'll get our hands on those, but surprisingly, there's a lot of people trying to get rid of old pews, but we're gonna find old reclaimed pews. It's gonna be a beautiful room. There'll be uh, decor in there. Um, And what'll happen is it'll be a perfect place for us to do uh, pre-service prayer, uh, post-service prayer. So people wanna come down and be prayed for. Sometimes the next service is bumping into that. It's a great place for us to take people to. It'll be a great place for small weddings, uh, funerals be great in there as well. So what used to be the least used room on the campus will probably become one of the most used. And here's the other vision I have for uh, this room is we want to have more times of 24 hours of prayer. And it's been hard to do in this room because of navigating through the whole building. You got to put security down at the front doors and bring people through. Uh, Having its own entrance will allow us to put security right there. People can come, people can go, uh, and we can have 24 hours of prayers there, uh, different seasons of the year. Yeah, we can clap for that. That'd be a cool thing. Uh, the next thing that's on there is the L rooms. Uh, I'm going to move through these last few things real quick, but the L rooms are the rooms in the basement. Uh, these rooms are critical, a mission critical for us. Again, if you look at the room, pretty stark, pretty um, uh, institutional might be a good word for it. And what we want to do is we want to make these living rooms. Uh, so the next slide. And you can tell the difference here is uh, we are a church of small groups. And what we learned through these last two churchwide studies is that for our small groups to be diverse, more often than not, they need to start here on campus. In other words, when we send people into the homes, our churches have either been black or white, and we don't want black small groups and white small groups. We want a mosaic of people striving to live like Jesus, including their small group. And so we've learned if we start the small group at Grace, it becomes kind of an incubator, if you will, and then we can send the groups out. So the groups meet for a little while. Somebody kind of rises up and says, hey, I'd love to have the small group at my house. And then they can go and they can be at home. But by then, you know each other, you trust each other. It's not such a big deal to go into a town that you're not comfortable with or a place that you're not comfortable with or go to somebody's house that you really don't know. So these living rooms become the launching pad for new small groups. Um, and we know that we have to do this. It's just necessary. And um, it, it makes a difference. If you are sitting in a comfortable environment, just like your living room, you wouldn't put plastic chairs in your living room um, and expect people to be comfortable. We, we have comfortable furniture because we want people to be able to relax. Um, so there's five L rooms. Um, somebody asked, you know, are you going to start them before you get all the money? Sure. If we can have enough money to do the first one after we've done these other things, we'll just do them one at a time as God provides, but it's a, another great thing. The last thing, well, it's not the last thing, but the next thing on there is the lobby. Um, you can just see a before and after picture here. Some of this is just necessary. We have to replace the carpet. As a matter of fact, you'll see a big line item in there for carpet. All of the carpet in this building was put in when they built this building. 
It's all 15 years old. A lot of it has reached its life expectancy. So as God provides, we're going to start replacing carpet where we have to. One of the first places we have to is in the lobby. So we're going to do that. We're going to paint. We're going to put in uh, windows that have a little um, insulation value. I don't know if you've spent any time in the lobby, but it's a pretty cold place when winter hits. Um, so uh, that's the after that. So I talked about the carpet a little bit, and then I want to hit the last thing. And I really want to get through this so that I can get to a little bit of passage of scripture here and we can teach on it. Um, but the last thing you see on there is opportunity. And what is opportunity? Opportunity is exactly what it says. Um, we are consistently um, asked to participate in new things. People come to us and share. Right now, uh, Courage Home, so you see this 126 uh, girls rescued. Um, they are building a home in India. It's, a, it's an incredible place. It's going to be for the girls that are currently in the home and for girls who are graduating out of the home so that they still have a place currently. They can only serve up to the age 18, so they're going to build this place called uh, Beauty from Ashes, which will be for girls that are a, bit, a little bit older, a little less supervision, but they still have a place. Uh, well, they've come to us and said, can you help us? Well, we don't have a uh, fund of money laying around for opportunities like that. So opportunities will become a great place for us when we have those invitations to say, yeah, we'd love to. Here's five grand, here's 10 grand, whatever we think uh, God is calling us to participate in to help them get to that. The other thing about the opportunity money is we may find some surprises in the construction of what we're doing, and it kind of gives us a little bit of a, a backdrop, if you will. So that's the, the picture that we have of what we're going to do with impact. What I want to do now is I want to talk about money. And uh, there's nothing like talking about money from a pastor's point of view. Uh, but here's what I want to tell you. If you're feeling pressure, if you're feeling guilt over these last few weeks, if you're feeling manipulated, that is not um, our intent. Impact 2016 is simply an invitation. It's an invitation uh, to participate in what God is already doing at Grace and what we feel like God is going to do in the future. And one of the threads that runs throughout the three weeks, and I don't know if, if you've picked up on this, but, but God is a multiplying God. So we think about that Ezekiel passage. Remember, it starts as just a trickle and it becomes this powerful river, right? We think about just even our faith. God takes a mustard seed of faith and he gives us new life. And then he tells us, you are the light of the cosmos. So there's this, this picture of multiplication that came out week after week as we talked about, about the church and what the church is supposed to be. And, and so I just want you to, to hang on to that. So this week I was praying. I was like, God, where can I go scripturally? I, I need to talk about this so everybody's aware. I feel like as a family, we are a family that we need to know um, what we're doing. So it's important that we walk through this. But where can I go in the scriptures? And God led me to the feeding of the multitude in John 6. So grab your Bibles, turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. I want you to read along as I read John chapter 6. And I know this is a familiar story, but I want to just kind of pull out four observations from this story um, that I think are relevant not only to this campaign, but just to our life in general. I mean, there's some, just some, some, some good bullets that you could write down from this story that have profound implication beyond impact. John chapter 6 verses 5 through 13. When Jesus looked up, he saw a great crowd coming towards him. And he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread 
for each one of them to have a bite. Not even to feed them, just to have a bite. It would cost us more than half a year's wages. Think about that for a minute. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he spoke up and he said, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will that go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and so they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus took the loaves and gave thanks and distributed those who were seated as, as much as they wanted, and he did the same with the fish. And when they had all enough to eat, he said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over from those who had eaten. So the first observation I want to make is that God is sovereign. You know what that means? It means that God knows what God's going to do. God's in control. God is not surprised by world events. Jesus wasn't surprised to see the crowds. He wasn't surprised that they didn't have enough food. And all of this is, is known to God. God is sovereign. He's not surprised by Donald Trump. He's not surprised by Hillary Clinton. He's not surprised by Obama. He's not surprised by the political climate that we exist in today. He's not surprised by ISIS. None of this gets beyond God. He's not standing back like, how did this, where did this come from? God is not surprised. He is sovereign. He knows what he's doing and he is in control. And so we need to remember that when things seem crazy, like, like God knows what God's doing. God is, God is sovereign. But here's the, 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 thing to really even just try to wrap your mind up is God is sovereign. God knows what's going to happen. And then God invites us to participate in what he's doing. That's an amazing privilege. God invites us to participate in what he's doing. This is the profound invitation of participation. Participation. So God is sovereign. Look at verses five and six. It says, when Jesus looked up, he saw a great crowd coming toward him. He said to Philip, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? And it says he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. He already had in mind. He's sovereign. He's telling Philip, hey, are you willing to trust me? You want to be a part of this? This is going to be a really cool moment. As a matter of fact, people are going to talk about it 2,000 years later at Grace Community Church. This is a cool thing I'm about to do. You want to be a part of it? And so he invites him in in his own way. Whatever he has, he says, you want to be a part of this, Philip. And so it creates a dialogue between them. But God knows, Jesus knows exactly what he's going to do. It was a test. And he was saying, hey, you want to be a part of this. We get to, and that's an important words, we get to play a role in the bringing about of the kingdom of God. How profound is that? We get to be a part of it. In the things that we do with our lives, we get to be a part of bringing about the kingdom of God. So the first observation is God is sovereign. He's not surprised. He knows what he's going to do. And the second one is God's ways are not our ways. What God is up to doesn't always make sense from a human perspective. If you look at the passage, you see Philip is like, uh, dude, this would take like a, a half year's wages and they'd only get a bite. Are you, are you crazy? We got nothing. We can't, we can't feed these people. And if you look at the other gospel accounts, they're like, just send them away. We, we can't do this. There's no way. This ain't, this ain't going to happen. God, no, it's, it's, no, it's not going to work. There, there's a lack of faith. It doesn't make sense to them. How can we feed somebody if we don't have anything to feed them? It makes sense that they would, they would question it. But this is the deal. When, when we're moving in God's economy, it requires faith. 
if God is asking you to do something and it's not stretching you, if it's not putting you on the edge, if it's not more than you think you should do, then it doesn't require faith. You're going to do it in your own, in your own strength anyway, that, that God's ways are not our ways. Third observation, God uses what we give. And that's so important for this campaign, but it goes so far beyond this campaign. God is just calling you to be faithful. Sometimes we look at the problems of the world or we look at at things and we think, well, I can't make a dent. I can't do anything to make this better. I can't fix this. I mean, I just got this little bit of resources. I'm just one person. And God says, no, that's not what it's about. It's about, are you faithful with what I have given you? Are you willing to give the time to step into it and see how God moves. So this goes way beyond the impact campaign. This is, this is about a step back and saying, God just wants you to be faithful to give what he's calling you to give and let him worry about the bigger picture. Sometimes the problem is so huge, we just throw up our hands and say, I, I can't fix this. I can't fix the problems in Detroit. I don't have the ability, but he may be calling you to be a part of the solution. And so, so we give, God uses what we give. I love this in verse nine, with all of his doubt, Andrew says, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. I think it's funny that he says small barley loaves and small fish, as if they were big loaves and big fish, it would have made any difference. Like I know all we have is a sardine, but if we had a salmon, then we could feed 10,000 people, right? Like, I think he just tried to make a point to Jesus like, dude, not only do we have not much, it's little much, like it's crazy. But anyway, so, and he says to him, like, how far is this gonna go? What if the disciples had just waited until they gathered enough food to feed all those people? What is it? Okay, Jesus said we gotta feed them. Then they went around and they collected everything. They never would have had enough. That was the point, right? And, and so they says, give me what you have and, and allow me to multiply it. Allow me to do more with it. So God is sovereign. God's ways are not our ways. God uses what you give. So, so give, not just financially, give of your life, step into the chaos and watch God move. And then the last one is God multiplies what we give in faith. Look at verse 12. It says, when they had all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and they filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over from those who had eaten. They had had more than a bite. Now they had actually eaten till they were full. They collected and they had five baskets full. Here's the thing. Jesus didn't need the five loaves and two fish. Look, if you can feed thousands and thousands of people from one little boy's lunch, then you really don't need the little boy's lunch, right? So he was teaching them something about giving, but then he multiplies it and he blows them away with what happens in the end. So they collect and they collect 12 baskets full. Why 12 baskets? You know, if you wanna have some fun, ask that question of Google. Why did they get 12 baskets? And you will get a hundred different answers. Some of them may be true. Maybe some of them just may be speculation, but here's why I think they had 12. Because there were 12 disciples and each disciple was given a basket. And each disciple had to walk through the crowd and watch the basket fill up. And imagine what it was doing to them as they held the basket and they saw all of this leftover. It was a physical reminder to them that God is the one who multiplied it. God did, they each had their own little moment with God of holding a basket full of, of, of God's provision, God's multiplication. It must've been a powerful moment. They must've been dumbfounded as they came back with their baskets full and and laid it at the feet. And and here we are 2000 years later talking about this uh, 
amazing story. God is saying something to us. He's saying, if the people of grace would ask me, if they would just ask me and respond in faith, I will do more than you can ask, think, or imagine. And this is more than money. This is about you just asking God, God, how do you want me to participate in the mission at Grace? If Grace is my church, if Grace is my home church, how do you want me to be a part? And if, if every person in this room, including myself, would just say, God, what do you want me to do? And respond in faith, he's saying, I will pour out my mercy on this church, and I will do more than you can ask, think, or imagine. God has used this church in a profound way, and I am absolutely convinced that he is just getting started. And this campaign is about the next decade of ministry. It's about preparing this place for the next generation, the generation that you see on the stage, the young people that are coming up. It's about getting ready for what God is going to do moving forward. God is inviting us to participate. And that participation comes in all kinds of ways, and one of the ways is being a part of impact. He's inviting us into the story, just like he invited Andrew and Peter and the 12 disciples as he got ready to feed the 5,000. So this is what we're asking. We're asking you to pray. God, how do you want me to play a part in Impact 2016? And some of you are ready to give today. That's great. This campaign is going to go over the next few weeks. That's fine. If you want to wait uh, in your bulletin as an envelope, you can give a one-time gift. You can give a one-time gift and make a pledge for the coming year. What we need to know is how much we have so we know that we are spending responsible. So John's going to lead us in a song. The ushers are going to come. Here's what I need you to know. Um, if it's not in an impact envelope, it's just general giving. So if you want what you're giving this morning to go to impact, you need to make sure you use one of those envelopes. If you don't have an envelope and you want to wait uh, and grab one and give it in the back, that's fine. Uh, but we need to know. This is both the general offering and the impact offering. Uh, and then as John leads us in song, we'll take the offering and I'll come back up and close in just a moment.
majesty. 